I want you to imagine, hypothetical scenario here, that uh, Jacob, my preaching compatriot, was sick this morning, and I got up and I said, you know, the reason Jacob is sick is because he's not taking the Lord's Supper correctly. Now, you might think that's kind of a weird thing to say, and obviously it's not true, because not only is he not sick, but I, I have a feeling that, that he's, he's doing just a great job. However, that would not be a totally unprecedented thing to happen. Turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 11, the passage that Don read for us this morning, and I want to read verses 28 through 30. 1 Corinthians 11, 28 through 30 says, Let a person examine himself then, and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. That is why many of you are weak and ill, and some have died. Now, some people take this to be a spiritual sickness. I do not, for reasons I'll explain later. But what he's saying here is that some of you guys are sick. Some of you have even died because you're eating and drinking judgment to yourself in the Lord's Supper. Now, that is, uh, that's a scary thing. I, I don't want to do that. You don't want to do that. So I'd like to know, how do we eat and drink judgment to ourselves so that we don't do that? And I, I want to preach on this for two reasons. One is because um, this passage, 1 Corinthians 11, is a passage that gets a ton of attention. And so I think... When every time we turn here, we're like, oh, yeah, but I know that. Let me just put my imaginary uh, invisible earbuds in uh, and just like zone out. But no, I think there's a lot in 1 Corinthians 11 that we don't think about a lot. And my hope is that uh, before I'm done, I can maybe surprise you with something new that you didn't know. But the second and more important reason I want to preach on this is because I think there are a lot of people who uh, are young. Uh, I think a lot, especially uh, maybe young people who've been raised in the church and they're thinking about getting baptized, but also people out in the world that we're, we're trying to convert. I think you can read a passage like this and it can be really scary. I remember even myself, before I got baptized, I was like, Mom, I don't, I don't know if I want to do this because if I get baptized, then I have to take the Lord's Supper and then I could be eating and drinking judgment to myself and I, I don't know if I want to do that. And so I want to talk about this morning, what does that mean? And how, uh, how can we avoid it? And so we're going to take uh, some time this morning to talk through this text from 1 Corinthians 11, verses 17 through 34, and talk about the original audience, what they would have understood from it, what Paul is trying to say to them, and also what it means for us. So uh, before I do that, though, I would like to uh, introduce for maybe like two or three minutes six things that you're going to need to know about the cultural background of the Greco-Roman world in order for this to make sense. So, six facts. The first thing you need to know is about status. So, uh, we live in a, a world without strict status markers, uh, in the U.S. at least. Uh, if you went to, like, India, you've got, like, a strict caste system. It's kind of like that, okay? In the ancient world, there were rich people, there were poor people, they were, and, and everyone knew where you were, and everything that you did was a reflection on your status. And so, consequently, uh, poor people and rich people did not spend a lot of time together, or else, you know, maybe the, the, the filth of the, the poor person would kind of rub off on the rich person. So, so there's a strict stratification of, of the social order, and status is something that is apparent and uh, existent in everything you do. Second, you need to understand that at parties, uh, as a result of this status thing, 
it might be a little bit different than what we'd imagine. So if, if we invite you over for dinner into our you know, tiny apartment, uh, we're going to serve everybody the same thing because that's, why would you not do that? But in the ancient world, if you got invited over to somebody's house for a party and they were going to serve you, it's very possible the person you know, to, to the right of the host, they would get you know, the, the, the perfect steak from the fattened calf and someone further down the table, they might get like chicken. And uh, you get you know, the, the finest vegetables and somebody else would get you know, kind of low quality stuff because uh, it was expected that people of higher status would be treated nicer than people of lower status. Uh, that was just kind of how the, how the Greco Roman world worked. Further, sharing food. We think, you know, if we're going to come together and, you know, someone's not going to make food for everybody, we're all going to do like a potluck type situation. Uh, in the ancient world, uh, that was very, very rare. Uh, if you were all going to come together and everyone was going to bring different food, it would be kind of like uh, a lunchbox situation. I'm going to bring my food and you're going to bring your food. And as we talked about status, um, if I bring really nice food, then it's the status indicator that I am rich and I can afford to spend nice things. And you're going to be over there, uh, assuming you know, I'm eating with a poor person. Uh, they're going to be eating you know, like bread. And I'm going to have you know, really, really fancy stuff. And so we're not going to be eating the same thing. It's going to be, uh, it's going to be a big difference. Fourth, we need to understand that the Lord's Supper in the ancient world, in, in the church, was taken as part of a larger fellowship meal. Just as really when Jesus instituted the Lord's Supper, that the Passover has more than just one bread and one cup, that there is a, a larger meal around it. And so in this world, what you could imagine is that the saints, they would get together, they would be eating together, sharing together, and then uh, at a portion of uh, their time where they've been, you know, discussing Jesus all along and maybe singing and, and, and excited and, and speaking about the word, that there will be a time set aside where they would partake of the Lord's Supper. And uh, that would be the special time and they would, they would take the emblems just like uh, we do now, except it would be in the context of a larger meal. Fifth thing is that homes in the ancient world are uh, broken up. There's a, there's a section like a dining room that we have. But just like in our homes, you can't fit that many people in the dining room. So you also have like an atrium where you'd have a lot more people. So if you have more than about 10 people over to your house, only the special people get to sit in the dining room. And finally, we need to understand that, of course, the assembly in the ancient world uh, took place oftentimes in homes. So rather than having a church building, we would be in homes. All of these facts are going to become very relevant here as we introduce the problem that's going on in Corinth. So let's read verses 17 through 22 of 1 Corinthians 11, and we'll, I'm pretty sure you will see immediately why all these things are important. So he says, In the following instructions, I do not commend you, because when you come together, it is not for better, but for worse. For in the first place, when you come together as a church, I hear there are divisions among you, and I believe it in part. For there must be factions among you in order that those who are genuine among you may be recognized. When you come together, it's not the Lord's Supper that you eat. Sorry, let me read that again. When you come together, it's not the Lord's Supper that you eat. For in eating, each one goes ahead with his own meal. One goes hungry, another gets drunk. What, do you not have houses to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I commend you in this? No. I will not. So, what is going on here? Paul says, when you come together to assemble, it's supposed to be for the betterment of you all. But what's happening 
is that when you come together, verse 17, it's not for better, it's for worse. And the reason is because there are divisions. And the way that you're doing worship is not healing divisions, it's making them bigger. And that is because these divisions, it seems, are not as we often think in the church uh, along doctrinal lines, but along socioeconomic lines. He says in verse 22, do you not have houses in need to drink in? Uh, do you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? Uh, also in verse 21, uh, each one goes on with his meal. One is hungry, another gets drunk. We're putting these pieces together and uh, the, the stuff that I told you guys earlier, and I think this is the picture we should see. There are rich people in Corinth and there are poor people in Corinth. And as I said, typically they wouldn't mix. But in this case, they do because they're brought together by Jesus. That's a thumbs up. And yet, the rich people, they're still thinking like normal rich people in the Greco-Roman world. They're still looking at things as an opportunity to advance their status. And so when they would come together to worship, to have a fellowship meal, to partake of the Lord's Supper, even if, uh, as is probably the case, that the actual implements of the, the Lord's Supper were provided by the host, the other food was brought by each person. And so you've got rich people who have houses to eat and drink in and food to spare, bringing great lavish feasts to show off their richness. And you have poor people who, uh, they don't have houses. Often many of these are going to be slaves. They're on somebody else's time. They they're, might even come late because they don't have the ability, they don't have the freedom that these rich people do. They don't have the money that these people do. And so you have a very real situation in which one could be lavishly rich and the other very poor. One is drunk, the other is hungry. And so you have this situation. And on top of that, we talked about the structure of the houses. That you know, you have an, an inner, a dining room where you fit the, the, the best people, the high, the high status people, and all the poor people, they're out in the atrium. And so even the way that they're partaking of the Lord's Supper is creating divisions in their church along socioeconomic lines. And they are using this thing, which should be bringing them together, should be uniting them. Instead, it's driving them apart. It is not, as he says in verse 17, for better, but for worse. That there are divisions that each one is going ahead. And I don't think this is a temporal uh, going ahead. I think it's a kind of, you know, charging ahead, barging ahead, you know, jumping in front of someone in line. Again, not to say, oh, I'm going to be in front of you, but to say, I'm more important than you. And that they are taking this thing, which, like I said, is supposed to bring them together. And they're using it to drive each other apart to say, I'm better than you. I'm more important than you. You don't matter. And Paul says, can I, can I commend you in this? Absolutely not. He says at the beginning of, of 22, do you not have houses to eat and drink in? He says, listen, you're coming together for this fellowship meal, but the point is not sustenance. The point is fellowship. The point is, is coming together. It is, it is unity. That if, if you want to eat and be filled, that's a that's a different thing for a different time, for a different purpose. This is for unity. And so when we come together to partake of the Lord's Supper, it is for unity. And so he says, this is the problem. And so as often Paul does when he presents a problem, he will also present uh, the pattern. This is what it should look like. Let me remind you, he says in verses 23 through 26. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, 
that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it. And he said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way also, he took the cup after, cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Three points I want to make out of this. First of all, Jesus says, This is my body, which is for you. That Jesus is telling us, in the Lord's Supper, in this bread that we partake of each week, he gave his body for us. And we remember the self-sacrifice of Jesus. He also says, this is my blood. This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. That this cup is, is a new covenant in Jesus' blood. Jesus gave his blood to make the covenant, as no covenant can be made without blood, and that this is a covenant. It is something that we partake in. It is something that we choose uh, to, to be a part of, and it is a thing which requires of us something, that we can't partake of this covenant and not expect to, uh, to, to follow the, the guidelines of this new covenant that Jesus has given us. And so, just as with the first covenant uh, in, you know, the, the Mos- I guess that's a second covenant, but the Mosaic covenant, um, where you have uh, covenant blessings and cursings, so also when we choose to follow God, uh, when we say, you know, I am yours, uh, I, I, you know, put away the rest of the world, I'm going to follow you, that when we do that, we receive blessings. And when we don't, We receive judgment. So third point then, Jesus says in verse 26, as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Every week we partake of these emblems and we proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. That's what we are doing is we are telling others, telling ourselves, telling uh, whoever can see that Jesus died. He gave us life. He gave himself. He gave this blood for this new covenant. All of these things that we are proclaiming as we come together. And so it is entirely inappropriate for them to be taking the Lord's Supper and making it about themselves. As he says, this, when you come together, it's not the Lord's Supper that you're eating. You're eating, but it's not for God. It's for you. And that is what he means in verse 27 when he says... Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then and so eat of the bread and drink the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. That is why many of you are sick and ill and some have, sorry, many of you are weak and ill and some have died. But if we judged ourselves truly, we would not be judged But when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined so that we may not be condemned along with the world. So the situation, as we've seen, is that the Corinthians are taking this meal, which is supposed to be about God, and it is supposed to be about selflessness. And they are making about themselves and, uh, you know, running in front of each other and, and being more important than the other. 
And so that is what it means in verse 27, that they are partaking in an unworthy manner. This is uh, not an adjective to say that these, the people who take it are unworthy, because obviously we are all in many ways unworthy uh, of Jesus. But no, rather this is the way that they're taking it. The actual way they're doing the Lord's Supper is unworthy, that they are showing by the way that they are you know, spitting in the face of the purpose of this, this meal, that they don't, they don't care, that they are on the, the wrong side, uh, that Jesus gave, to, gave himself to be selfless, to give to others. And when they partake of it in a way that shows they're not interested in that, then they are uh, eating in an unworthy manner. And so he says, this is what you got to do. Verse 28, let a person examine himself then and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. That when we come to this table, we got to examine ourselves. We need to see that we are all even before God. We'll all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We all need Jesus. He gave himself for us. And so we must look in at ourselves and consider uh, verse 29, uh, that anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself, that we must discern the body. I have uh, before taken the stance that I think this body is the body of, of Christ, the, the church. I think actually, uh, I've changed my mind. I think it's this body, the, 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 per, the bread. And I think either way we get to the same conclusion, which is that we need to be selfless. But I think what he's trying to say here is that when we come to the Lord's Supper, we need to recognize two things. We need to look inside of ourselves and say, am I living up to Christ? And then we need to look at the bread. We need to look at the Lord's Supper as a whole and say, what does this represent? And if what this represents, selflessness, sacrifice, Jesus living in us, is not what we see when we examine ourselves, then we need to make some changes. And so he says, let each person, verse 28, let each person examine himself and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. But they weren't doing that. And that's why we have in verse 30 that many of them are weak and ill and some have died. Verse 31, if we judged ourselves truly, we would not be judged. But when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined so that we would not become, that we would not be condemned along with the world. He's saying you got two options. Either you examine yourself, you judge yourself and recognize what's wrong and you, you fix that, or God is going to judge you. Uh, and that judgment is why some of you are weak and ill. However, much like the covenant curses of, you know, of Leviticus and Deuteronomy, this judgment is for our good. It is intended, verse uh, 32, uh, so that we would not be condemned along with the world. He says, some of you are sick, some of you are weak, and the reason that you are sick and weak is because God is, is letting you know through his uh, you know, light judgment here that there is an eternal judgment waiting for you, and you need to shape up. You need to recognize what this Lord's Supper is about, and you need to get your life back on track. And so we get this picture here that some people were taking of the Lord's Supper in a way that was totally counter to what the Lord's Supper was about. And thus, as they are imbibing 
the bread and the wine, these implements of Christ that are about unity and about self-sacrifice and living in themselves a totally different life, then these emblems are crying out against them in judgment to say, listen, this is not what you're about. And so the, the conclusion to this that Paul gives is in verse 33. So then, my brothers, when you come together to eat, wait for one another. If one is hungry, let him eat at home, so that when you come together, it will not be for judgment. About the other things, I will give direction when I come. He says, here's how you solve this problem. You wait for one another. Or I like, some translations say, wait on one another. And I like that even better. That this idea is that right now, the way you are doing the Lord's Supper is that you are ignoring the needs of, of your brothers. That you are, you are trying to, to impress upon others your power, your status, and you're trying to, to be better than other people. He says, you, you got to stop that, Okay. Take this as an opportunity not to advance your status, but to help, to be sacrificial, to give like Jesus gave. And if you're, if you're thinking that this is about food and about you know, filling yourselves, then think again. This is about unity. And so what then do we need to do? How do we respond to a passage like this? Well, I think it leaves us with two questions. First of all, uh, this is the question we began with. What does it mean to partake in an unworthy manner? And I think contextually for the Corinthians, it meant that the way that they were doing the Lord's Supper was uh, done in an unworthy manner because they were in the very act of partaking of the Lord's Supper, this thing about um, self-sacrifice and about uh, selflessness and uh, service and uh, humility, they are trying to advance themselves. And so they are, by the very way they are taking the Lord's Supper, invalidating the whole thing. So what, that, that part of the answer is easy. How does that affect us is a little bit of a trickier question. Because we don't obviously partake of the Lord's Supper in a fellowship meal. We partake of it this way. And uh, this has a distinct advantage in this particular aspect because it is very, very difficult to do what the Corinthians did when we do it this way. Uh, I think there are some possibilities. Obviously, uh, you know, segregation was a thing at one time. And obviously, uh, James talks about socioeconomic uh, divisions in a church, and that's, that's what this is about. And so it's possible that we could, even in this, uh, have some further divide our church. But I think that fit, like the, the actual way we do this makes it very, very difficult for us to partake of the Lord's Supper in an unworthy manner. That does not get us off the hook, however, for the second one. Eating and drinking judgment on yourself. Because ultimately, this is about uh, the two things. Discerning the body, understanding what this means for us, and secondly, examining ourselves and saying, do I fall in line with that? And when we find the, a dissonance between those things, what this stands for and what I see in my heart, and I'm not doing anything about that, that's eating and drinking judgment to yourself. Because we are aware of who Jesus was and what he came to establish, and we are just ignoring it. And these emblems that we partake of uh, you know, cry out against us in those cases and say, this, you're not taking this seriously. And so we need to consider how it is that we can do that. And I think that there are, are many ways, but I'll give you three, 
three examples. Uh, the first is thoughtlessness for others. Uh, and this probably will step on every toe. It will step on my toes for sure. Uh, I talked about in actually, I think my first sermon, or maybe it's the, the first Sunday of, of this year, 2022, about how churches are meant to be together. And how we do ourselves a tremendous disservice when there are people in our congregation that we don't take the time to really get to know. Uh, and so I confess then, I'll confess now, that there are people in this congregation that I just have not spent the time that I really should to even just walk across the room and go talk to them. And while I'm not saying that this necessarily will invalidate your Lord's Supper, I am going to say that we need to put a stop to this. Because when there are people in our congregation that, uh, just like I think the problem here in First, in First Corinthians, I don't think it was that the rich people were intentionally trying to, you know, uh, attack and divide from the poor people, although maybe that is what was happening. But I think more likely it's that the rich people just weren't thinking about the poor people. They didn't care enough about them uh, to, to take them into account when they were partaking of the Lord's Supper. And I think in the same way that there, there are people in our congregations that we, we don't do a good job of reaching out to. And we show them by our actions that they're not important enough to us. And, and that's, a, that's a problem that we need to come face to face with as we are partaking of the Lord's Supper. That Christ gave himself equally for all of us. And that we are all even before the cross. And so everybody here has value. And like the first century Christians who brought their, you know, uh, strange and uh, foreign to the Bible ideas of status and importance into the church, we can uh, keep, we can bring those in as well when we uh, forget, to, when we only associate with the people who are like us, when we, when we stay in our cliques and we don't reach out and, and recognize that we are all a family together. And so uh, we need to remember that, that we're all here together and that this Lord's Supper should bring us together. It should uh, weed, weed out this uh, thoughtlessness from inside of us and help us to think more of one another. But I think there's an even uh, bigger issue in terms of, of danger, and that is uh, like proper divisions in the church. And I've already uh, mentioned you know, uh, socioeconomic and, and racial divisions, which I think are, are somewhat in the past, although still something we need to be uh, on guard against. But I think uh, what's even more uh, a trouble for us is these timeless divisions. Divisions of anger, wrath, malice, unforgiveness. These problems that don't get resolved. And we, we carry around anger and, and resentment, and we, we, we don't talk to people, not because we forgot about them, but because we, we thought about them, and we really, we did not want to talk to them. We did not want to, to visit with them. We didn't want to be in the same church as them. We get this anger, and even though we wouldn't always come right out and say that, we have these divisions in our church, and we need to be aware of them. We need to watch out for them, and we need to resolve them. Because these things have no right to be in our hearts. And these are the kinds of things, these divisions are the kinds of things that will cry out against us as we are eating and drinking these, this supper that Jesus died to bring us together, to give us forgiveness. And so if we have divisions in our church over anger, then the, 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 pro, the solution is for us to examine ourselves and to discern the body 
and to understand that Jesus died to bring us together, that Jesus died to give us forgiveness. And we need to find forgiveness in our hearts as well. Very similarly, self-righteousness as a form of, of division. But I think that there are people in our church and we, we, can, we can kind of look at them and, and thumb our nose at them and say, oh, you know what, I'm, I'm you know, more holy than they are. And this, of course, creates divisions. This is, of course, based solely in pride. And we need to recognize in these circumstances that, first of all, I mean, do Matthew 18. If you've got a problem with your brother, go, go talk to them. That's, that's the solution, not to just stand aloof and think you're better than them. But also to recognize, to look into ourselves, to examine ourselves and recognize that we need forgiveness too. That we have failed as well and that we all need the grace of God. And then to come back and consider the body. Consider what this means. Again, selflessness. Again, unity. Again, uh, sharing in the death of Christ. That is what he says, if we'll flip back a page, probably to 1 Corinthians 10. In 1 Corinthians 10, 16, he says, the cup of blessing that we bless, is it not a participation in the blood of Christ? The bread that we break, is it not a participation in the body of Christ? Because there is one bread, we who are many are one body, for we all partake of the one bread. That when we partake of this Lord's Supper, we are taking, we are participating in the death of Christ. We are saying, I, I, I like Christ, give my life to God. I, I, I give up myself, I, I give to others. I want to be about the same sort of self-sacrifice that he was about. We gotta, we gotta do that, we gotta believe that. And when we have divisions, we have self-righteousness. A lot of times I think the problem with this is we're not thinking about other people or that when we do think about them, we think either, eh, this division is not that important. Like, I don't, I don't really need to, to, to bridge gaps with them, which, again, shows an obvious amount of pride. But the other possibility, and this happens all the time, is that we, we think, oh, if I go talk to them, I already know what's going to happen. They're not going to listen to me. Why would I even go talk to them? And when we have that attitude, again, it, it reeks of, of pride and, and our own way. And so we need to consider that Jesus gave his life to give us forgiveness, to give us even, even access to our Lord. And so we have this Lord's Supper that although I've been talking a lot about the, the negative aspects, the, the judgment that we can eat on ourselves, it is intended to be a blessing. It is given to us to remind us every single week about the unity we share, about the selflessness that Jesus gave, about our purpose, about how we all relate to God on an even plane. We all come to him together. It draws us together. It reminds us what we're about. And so as we partake of these things and examine ourselves, then we can each week bring ourselves back in line with what Jesus wants us to be. We can recalibrate, as we talked about a couple Wednesdays ago. That's what this is about. And so here, in just a moment, I'm going to call the men up here. We're going uh, to partake of the Lord's Supper. And I, I want to challenge each of you to do what Paul says, to examine yourself and to discern the body and to understand what it is that Jesus is trying to accomplish for us 
and in our lives, what these implements are to remind us about that we are proclaiming to one another, to consider those, to discern those, and also to examine ourselves, to find where we are not in line with it and to bring ourselves back in line. That is what we are called to do. That is how we avoid eating and drinking judgment to ourselves. And that is how we receive these, not as a curse, but as a blessing to bring us back in line with God as it is intended to be done. This past week, I heard a story that warmed my heart. Um, there was uh, a lady, and her, her daughter was, was sick. She'd been kind of with a chronic illness. And uh, so this lady was telling me the story. She said uh, she, she got a call from her daughter. And uh, she, she picked up the phone, and her daughter was, was crying. And she was like, oh, what, what's going on? And, and she found out that the reason that her daughter was crying was because she had received a card, uh, a card from someone she didn't know that said, uh, I'm thinking about you, and uh, I'm, I'm praying about you. I heard you. I heard about you, and I just want you to know you're not alone. And the impact that this had in her life, uh, you know, just like, made her day, filled her with joy. And as soon as I heard that story, uh, I thought of uh, 1 Corinthians, or 2 Corinthians 9. And this uh, a text that normally is, is read with the, the contribution, so I guess I'm just hitting the, the common points today. But I love, in, in 2 Corinthians 9, verses 12 and 13, Paul says, For the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. By their approval of this service, they will glorify God because of your submission that comes from your confession of the gospel of Christ and the generosity of your contribution for them and for all others. I think quite simply, the way that we live our lives in submission to the confession of Christ that when we believe that Jesus is Lord and we live out our lives accordingly, we do acts of service for others that don't just supply their needs, but they result in many overflowings of thanksgivings to God. And I don't think that we always recognize the power that a card or a kind word can have, but the way that we live our lives in submission to that confession brings many Many thanks to God. And that's all I want to say. I think that we need to recognize that power and, and consider it as we go throughout our lives living out our confession to Christ and bringing glory to God all on the way, many times in many ways we will not see. And so this morning, we, we've talked about the Lord's Supper. We've talked about what Jesus did for us. And we've talked about his example of self-sacrifice and his example, which we literally you know, imbibe, take into ourselves each week. And if you don't know about that, if you want to be a, a part of Jesus, if you want to confess him as your king and, and be baptized in him, we want to help you do that. 
this morning. Or if you have any other need, we would love to help you to confess and live out the confession of Jesus. If you'll come as we stand and sing.